Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Opus Well Style Podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe here with my partner, Evan Wall. Evan, how are you? Doing great. How's it going today? I'm doing great. Thanks. It was uh, about 15 minutes ago, absolute downpour outside. So thunder, lightning. So hopefully we don't catch any of that in the background. Hopefully my uh, my power my power stays okay. My generator doesn't have to get kicked on. Hopefully we'll be okay. You look strong. You look great. I, you look great. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So on today, we're very excited to have Elaine Floyd. Elaine, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. So I'm going to have Evan kind of make the introduction here and introduce Elaine to the podcast. And we're again, we're really, really excited to have you on today. Thanks. So uh, Elaine is the Director of Retirement Life Planning at Horse's Mouth. She literally wrote the book on Social Security and Medicare for professionals. She's been quoted in Wall Street Journal, New York Times, US News, World Reports, Kiplinger, so on and so forth. She is a certain foremost expert on social security, which is uh, our main topic of today. So thank you for joining us. Uh, we certainly have lots of conversations as we speak to clients all the time about every aspect of, of their finances. Social security is certainly a big part of that when it comes to retirement income planning. One of the interesting things that I find, and I think Yvonne uh, would attest as well, is almost everyone that I speak to assumes that social security will not exist by the time they get to retirement. Uh, and you know, we always have a little bit of a laugh about it, but, uh, I, I have a different perspective of what I share that I think it's just too, just drastically unpopular for any politician to promote anything like that. And so everyone is well aware. Most people are well aware that social security is, I'll call it in need of adjustment. Uh, and so there will likely be some changes over time. And, uh, why don't we start there? What, what do you see as the current state of social security? Do you think it will go away in some period of time? And if not, what kind of changes do you think we can expect? Okay. Well, first of all, I was a financial advisor in the 1980s and mm. I was advising baby boomer clients at that time. Nobody thought social security would be around when they retired. Even and that, so that's interesting. Now we all are, you know, approaching 62 or over 62 and it's like, whoa, wait a there minute. There it is. Look here at that. After all, right? But um, the point is that it was probably a good thing that we thought Social Security mm -hmm. wouldn't mm -hmm. be there because it incentivized us to save in our 401ks, our IRAs. It essentially incentivized us to save for retirement. So if younger generations want to think that Social Security won't be there for them, the, I would say that's not a terrible thing. You know, it's point. always good to kind of take it upon ourselves to create our own retirement income plan. Okay. That said, there are a lot of people who are nearing Social Security age. And <laughs> at this point, then you want to be, you want to incorporate those benefits into your retirement income plan. If you know they're going to be there. So um, this whole uncertainty about the future of Social Security is, of course, on people's minds. And 
um, once a year, the Social Security trustees put out a report that um, projects finances over the next 75 years. And once a year when this report comes out, it's always a good opportunity for the media to, you know, sort of summarize what it says and in a couple of sentences, shall we say. It's a very long report, but mm -hmm. the, you know, what, what the people hear about it is, you know, in a nutshell, the Social Security Trust Fund will exhaust in the year 2033 uh, or 2034 if you combine it with the Disability Trust Fund. And at that time, benefits will be cut um, to about 78% of current levels. So those are the numbers that kind of hit the headlines. That's what people think about. And that's what people are worried about. I just got a question this morning. Are those benefit cuts going to be across the board? Or will people who are already receiving is, be able to stay at their level? Or Okay, first of all, let's calm down. <laughs> um, this is sort of a theoretical, it's, a, it's a, an actuarial calculation, shall we say, that this is a shortcut way for the trustees to tell Congress if you don't act, if you don't do something to reform the system, then this is what will happen. But to give a little backdrop or context to that, we all need to understand, first of all, it's a pay-as-you-go system that Social Security taxes will continue to be collected mm -hmm. and will provide about 78% of promised benefits. What will exhaust, right now there's about $2.8 trillion in the Social Security Trust Fund. This is just a, a holding account, basically. Mm -hmm. This trust fund was never designed really to get this big, but baby boomers you know, have been front loading it because we've been at the peak of our earning careers mm -hmm. and now we're gonna start draining it. So in 2033 or 2034, that 2.8 trillion will have been spent down. And now the only money coming in will be from the payroll taxes that, mm -hmm. are, that are being raised, okay? So- when it comes to Social Security reform, this is something that Congress will need to act on, okay? And as I said, the, the, the Social Security trustees report is their vehicle for notifying Congress that you, you guys need to do something here or benefits will be cut. Congress, in its typical fashion, waits until the last minute mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in 1980. Debt in ceiling. 1983, um, the system was within months of not being able to pay benefits, and Congress acted very quickly and didn't skip a beat. Those benefits continued to go out. So we think we're pretty sure that Congress will act and do something to reform the system. Now, it, those acts is it is it you know <laughs> is it just easy safe to say that taxes are going up and that's that's largely what's going to cover for cover most of it. Okay, going back to, you know, okay, what are what might be done here? Yeah, um, there it's a math problem, really. That's mm -hmm. all it is. Social mm -hmm. Security is just a math problem um, because they can project pretty accurately, you know, what salary levels are going to be, what the tax levels are going to be. And it's just a matter of adjusting either the taxes or the benefits. Mm -hmm. And there are different ways of adjusting these. Um, some of the proposals that have been thrown out are to raise the full retirement age from current 67 to maybe 69 or 70. Mm -hmm. And this would effectively be a cut in benefits. Another idea- that's what, that's what just happened in France. Is that correct? Yeah, Something I think like so. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Or they're 
and getting a lot of pushback on that too. Yeah, but, yeah, um, riots, yeah. And will probably happen here. The, another thing is to raise the tax, uh, either the tax rate or the income, the income levels on which taxes are being- The income uh, threshold. The threshold, mm-hmm. currently 160,000. Right. So, and, I mean, it was a pretty substantial jump from last year. Last year was what, 142 right. up to 160 in a pretty short span of time, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. those types of things are, are sort of a sneaky way to, you know, something that's not overtly obvious to most what that social security wage base increase was, right? I feel like I had that conversation probably four times a week and nobody knows that it's gone up. And frankly, a lot of people don't even know what it is. Right. Um, So so that, excuse me, that wage base initially was designed to collect taxes on 90% of earnings, you know, collectively 90%. And because there has been this inequality in the higher Earn, the higher paid people are being paid more mm-hmm. and the lower paid people are being paid less. Um, it works out right now that taxes are being collected on only about 83% of earnings across the board. So that maximum wage base could go up considerably higher. If it were to go up to 90%, it would be you know closer to 200,000 or even more. Oh, wow. So, yeah. What, what do you see at this point? You know, obviously there, there's going to be changes to the social security system, unknowable what they may be, whether it's reducing benefits or increasing taxes, probably some combination of both pushing out when you can start receiving it. Mm-hmm. At this point with the current uh, social security rules, what do you, what do you see as the most common mistakes? Is it, is it claiming too early, claiming too late, not understanding the the spousal benefits? What, where do you see that? most? Well, I would, num- number one is claiming too early. So many people are anchored to that age of 62, which is the age of early eligibility. And it's the earliest age that you can start collecting. Um, People don't do the math for themselves. Um, They look at their statement. Um, Now the statements are presented so that in sort of a stair-step graph, if you collect at 62, you get this amount, 63, 64, 65. And so, you know, it's clear from the statement that you will get more if you apply later. But what isn't clear from the statement is how that translates to lifetime benefits over your lifetime. And so most people aren't thinking that way and they claim too early. Do you think think people who have a shorter lifespan in their family are should be collecting or claiming early versus the people who have longevity in their family maybe they should lean towards collecting later or or no well uh, that's that's a good question and that that is the way uh that a lot of people do think about it first of all when when you've got a married couple you're looking at two lives not just one mm-hmm. so that's important to remember and number two just because you know from what I've read, a good portion of longevity is based on lifestyle and genes make up, you know, a smaller percentage of the impact. Mm-hmm. And so just because you have a short life expectancy in your family doesn't mean you're not going to live a long time. And mm-hmm. so the other part about Social Security that is so, so important for people to understand is that longevity insurance just in case you live a long time, you know, let's plan for that. <laughs> because if yeah. you don't, you're not going to be here anyway, right? Yeah. Now, now, Elaine, one of the things you mentioned was a statement. 
you know, I can't tell you how oftentimes people, they, they, they guess on how much they think they're going to get. I mean, people in their fifties have never taken a look at their social security statement and they get it in the mail. They kind of trash it. They don't even might get lost in, lost in the mail. So, you know, we really recommend that folks go on to mysocialsecurity.gov, take a look at the statement, see if there are inaccuracies in the statement. You know, are there, where do you generally, when do you start recommending that to folks and, and what do you do if you do run into sort of an issue there? Okay, good question. Um, first of all, I recommend everybody over 18 open a social security account. And the reason there for the younger people is that, sorry to bring this up, but there are hackers who have gone in and actually opened social security accounts on stolen social security numbers. And then uh, when, and they usually have the birth date associated with it. And when the person would have turned full retirement age, they'll go in and apply for benefits under that number. So this has happened. Um, so we do recommend that everybody open a social security account as soon as they turn 18. And then this just kind of gets you oriented toward thinking about social security and your earnings, the impact of your earnings upon your eventual benefit. So you want to be checking those earnings every year, making sure they're accurate. And if you see a mistake, this actually happened to me years ago. I was freelancing. I was follow, filing a Schedule C um, tax return, and somehow the communication didn't get from the IRS to the SSA, and it showed zero earnings for one year. And so it was an easy matter to get it corrected. If you have the information, if you have the tax return of the W-2, it's easy enough to get it corrected. There is a brochure on the Social Security website, how to correct your earnings record, and it explains right there how to do it. So um, that's why we do recommend it's really, really important for people to open that account, check their statement at least once a year, make sure the earnings are accurate, and um, also watch the benefit amount. It's really important for people to understand that connection. The more they earn, the higher their social security benefit is going to be. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, set, setting up a you know online access with SSA.gov at uh, at eighteen. Can we not do it for like for our kids? We actually just had a, a gentleman on our podcast talking about cybersecurity and how everyone's social securities are on the are on the the dark web and including our children's. I'm sure so. Right. Uh, it, what what can we do to make sure that our kids' social securities aren't being defrauded in that way? I I I don't know because yeah. it, you you can't open a social security. So you do have to wait till age eighteen. You have to That's wait till eighteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So. You um you mentioned the spousal benefit just briefly or earlier two two lifetimes. Can you explain uh, to our audience the the rules around spousal benefits and when when one spouse might get get the other? Yeah. Uh, Really important here. Um, So I guess I'd like to talk about spousal benefits in two regards. One is when both spouses are are both alive, right? So it used to be that most wives did not work. In fact, in 1939, when the spousal benefit was enacted, it was called a wife's benefit. Really? You know, come a long way since then. But Mm -hmm. um, but that was that was you know it was a way to give a non-working spouse access to the working spouses, half of the working spouses, social security benefit. And that exists today. It's called a spousal benefit. Now, of course, the baby boom generation has changed all that. Most baby boomer women have worked at some point and have their own social security benefit. And so um, now the trick is understanding 
which benefit you're going to be entitled to. If you've earned enough and your own benefit is ha- more than half of your spouse's benefit, then you know, you'll get your own and you won't get a spousal benefit. Uh, if it's less, then you will. And there are certain, you know, strategies that are maybe too complicated to go into here, but as far as um, when spouses should coordinate, how, when they should uh, apply in order to maximize their respective benefits. Now, now we get to the other side where when one spouse, spouse dies, and this is going to happen <laughs> at some mm-hmm. point, um, it is statistically usually the higher earning spouse who's older, who will die first. Um, You know, that's just kind of statistically the way it is. Mm -hmm. Husbands and wives, the husband is older, earns more, dies first. So at that point, even though you may have, the other spouse may have her own, you know, high earnings record and high benefit, she will step into the higher benefit when, when the husband dies, say, and let me be clear, these benefits are gender neutral. So, you know, we're just using husband and wife for clarity here. But when when he dies, she will then compare her benefit to the benefit he was getting when he died, and she will step into that benefit if it's higher. And so this then comes back to strategies that couples should employ now in anticipation of that date. And so we want the strategy that's going to maximize that higher benefit so that when the other spouse, when that spouse die, or either spouse, mm-hmm. you just want to maximize that higher benefit because that's the one that will continue through the end of the life of the second spouse to die. Mm-hmm. Got it. The How does um, Social Security interact with Medicare? Is, is there a is there a meaningful interaction that people should be aware aware about? Well, um, when you apply for Social Security, you will be automatically enrolled in Medicare Part A. Mm-hmm. Um, Medicare Part A is free if you qualify for Social Security. And so usually this is all fine. The complication comes in if you're still working, you're covered by an employer plan that involves an HSA, a health savings account. And for some reason, it's one of those rules that really doesn't make very much sense, but we're stuck with it. And that is once you enroll in any part of Medicare, then you have to stop those HSA contributions. And it's causing problems for a lot of people because, you know, especially people who work after age 70, after you've turned 70, you're going to automatically turn on your social security. There's no reason for delaying Mm -hmm. it past age Mm -hmm. 70. And if you're working and and you have to go into onto Medicare, that's just a rule. You can't um, you can't uh, waive Part A if you're on Social Security. It's again just a rule, and mm-hmm. so you can no longer make HSA contributions. That's at that strange. point, yeah, it is okay. strange, but um, it's just one of those things we have to we have to deal with. But I would say too. A lot of people, they're in love with their employer health plans. They're in love with their HSAs, especially as long as they're healthy. HSAs right. are fantastic savings accounts as long as you're as long as you're healthy and you mm-hmm. don't need to use the money for the deductible, say. Mm-hmm. That was the original purpose of them, of course. So um, so people are reluctant to give them up. But um I would just encourage people to look at Medicare because Medicare is a fantastic 
um, insurance program, health insurance program. It is heavily subsidized by the government. And um, if you if people were to compare their employer plan with their HSA to Medicare, they would generally find, I mean, the exception is if somebody just doesn't use healthcare at all, mm -hmm. you know, then, then maybe the HSA would be the better deal. But, you know, as you get older, stuff happens. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so the Medicare, it really, it's, it's probably in a, a good thing that people, you know, right around age 70, if not before, go on to Medicare and make that their primary health care insurance. Yeah. Elaine, can, can you share sort of, um, if, if, if it does at all, how one's income or, or assets in retirement would sort of um, change the way, you know, that you'd make your social security decisions? Well, um, people do tend to think that, um, let's take the early retirees to start. Um, somebody retires, let's say they retire at age 62 and they think, okay, I'm going to apply for social security because I may have all these assets in my um, IRA and my retirement plans, but those are, that's my money. And I want to save that, you know, I, I want to uh, use social security's money for my living expenses. Well, we created a calculator for this and it basically shows if you have a set spending need and you apply at age 62 versus 70. So at age 62, your spending need is being met by a combination of the social security and your own assets, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if you apply at 70, it's coming all out of your own money, we call it, um, and nothing is being funded by Social Security. So when we show the calculator income stream, uh, it looks pretty scary, you know, all these zeros, none, nothing from Social Security from 62 to 70. But what happens is the benefit starting at age 70 is so much higher than it would have been applying at 62, that once you've gone a few years up to about age 78, then it flips and you are now, um, your spending need is being met less by your own resources and more by social security. Does that, is that making sense? Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. so spend okay. your assets down first, allowing yeah. social security to continue to defer. You can almost think of it as kind of like a a guaranteed growth on on that asset that the government is yeah. giving to you. And then yeah. you start. And it's interesting that you bring up the point of the crossover point is only eight years. You only have to yeah. live eight more years from, from age 70 to have that be better off. And I think, you know, more often than not, that's, that's probably going to be the case. Yeah, yeah absolutely. How, yeah. how does, how does that, you know, we, we have this conversation often, but I'd love to hear your take on it, sort of how uh, the taxation would work on social security, depending on where you've saved your money over the years, right? If, you know, you're pulling money from your retirement accounts, for example, I know that changes the way that your social security is taxed. I mean, can you provide any insight on that? And if you're working part-time, I think that that'll also have an impact, right? Yeah. Right. So the thing about social taxation of social security benefits is that the thresholds were never adjusted for inflation. Mm -hmm. You know, these these thresholds went into effect in the early 90s. And they and, and so the, the threshold for a married couple is only forty four thousand dollars a year. And so once your income is over that your other income, not the social security, but if you have any other income. Taxable income, whether it's distributions from 401ks, IRAs or part time you know W2 work. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you're automatically thrown into that 85%. And, and so today we almost always tell people, you know, just plan on having 85% mm -hmm. of your social security taxed now as ordinary <laughs> income. 
Uh, yeah, it w- yes, yes, mm-hmm. it goes, it, it's just added to income and then taxed at your, at your regular tax rate. And so, yeah, it's important for people. I've heard people say, I'm going to have 85% of my social security taxed, you know, and no, it's, it's subject to tax and then taxed at your mm-hmm. regular tax rate. Um, the other thing that goes along with this though, which is a bigger issue is the income related monthly adjustment amount for Medicare, Irma for short. So if your income is over 97,000 for singles, 194,000 for married couples, your Part B premium for Medicare will be subject to an additional surcharge. And so all of the same tax planning strategies that you use just generally, you know, to to help clients reduce their uh, their their income tax, um, it kind of goes double <laughs> when they're on Medicare, and because you're actually you know saving that Irma as well. And so um, so for the Social Security, like I say, just ca- you know probably eighty five percent of those benefits are going to be taxable anyway. So mm-hmm. there's not a lot you can do about it, but you can definitely do something about the Irma, and that's something to really watch for. If you can say, can you say those numbers again? If you can keep your taxable income below 90 for a single and what was it? 94, 94,000 for singles, 90, 97,000 for singles, 194,000 for married couples. And this is a modified adjusted gross income, Mm -hmm. which is AGI plus tax exempt interest. Mm -hmm. And the thing to know about those thresholds is that they are cliff thresholds. So if your income goes $1 over, you are thrown into that higher um, bracket and your your Part B premium will go up by, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but roughly $60 a month. And, um, and it can go up from there um, so that if you're in the top tier, you're going to be paying five or $600 a month for your Part B premium. May, may not sound that expensive compared to other health insurance today, but when you compare it to you know, the, the normal part B premium, which is $164 today, mm-hmm. um, you know, just being able to maneuver your taxes such that you can save that additional premium. Cause you're not getting anything extra for your money there. Um, it just makes sense to do those. And, tax and that's taxes. per person, right? Not per couple or per Correct. Household. per person. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. I mean, how did it come to be that you became an expert in social security and <laughs> wrote the book and you know, where, where did it all start? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, So I was a financial advisor in the 1980s. I left the business in 87 to become a freelance financial writer and um, just did a lot of, you know, my focus was on retirement planning. I wrote books. I did, you know, just a lot of writing, a lot of study. And in the early 90s, I, I just started delving into Social Security for this book that I was writing. And that's when I discovered all of this um all of the changes, even though the amendments happened in 1983, the information hadn't really filtered through society yet, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I started doing the math and started realizing, oh my gosh, 8% a year, you get more for delaying your benefit. And to me, it just kind of blew my mind. People don't know this, you know, people don't know that if they just delay their benefit, they're going to get, and keep in mind the 1983 amendments where they set that 8%, 
interest rates were in double digits. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if you, maybe you don't remember. No, I've heard, I I've remember. learned. I've, I, I, <laughs> we've read. Yeah. <laughs> You've read. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, money market funds were paying, you know, 14, 15% back then. So this was the kind of context in which that 8% uh, annual credits was set. And, and, and they're a great, great deal. And so, so then I just started thinking, okay, and I was approaching, you know, started approaching social security age myself. And I wanted to really delve into this to find out how much my own benefit would be. And, and again, this whole idea of how much do you get over your lifetime, you know, and how, you know, that difference in starting amount how does that translate over the many years? And then you mm -hmm. add in the cost of living adjustments. So, you know, when I started with Horse's Mouth in 2008, that was the year I turned 62 because I was really, really interested in this for myself as well as for our, you know, members, of course. But um, I created this calculator. It, in the beginning, it was this very crude Excel spreadsheet that just took the starting amount. It you know, from the age 62, or if you were applying later, it added the delayed credits, um, added the colas, it went, ran it out over whatever life expectancy you wanted, and then compared. And it was, it like blew my mind really to see the difference. And if you were to see our calculator output and the clients are blown away by it, mm -hmm. it's like it, half a million dollars difference in a with a married couple over their lifetime if they if they both claim at 62 versus uh the higher earner claiming at 70 so it's that's, really that's some nice family vacations right there totally <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely totally well that's amazing well well elaine you know as we kind of wrap up are there any things in particular you want to make sure that the listening audience kind of takes away anything in particular that you want to make sure you mention uh that you haven't mentioned yet or something you want to kind of highlight um, you know, I would just like to highlight a couple of things that I talked about. And one is this idea of maximizing the higher benefit and that when, again, the higher earning husband, shall we say, because that's usually what it is, is thinking about taking his benefit, please think about, you know, the surviving spouse and um, do what's best for her. <laughs> Um, to put it in, you know, simple terms. And um, because studies have shown that a lot of people just, they are only thinking about themselves. Oh, I had a short life expectancy. My dad died young, whatever it might be. I'm going to take my benefit now. But you've got to understand that when you go, your benefit will, you know, it, it will transfer over to your surviving spouse. And the longer you wait to claim your benefit up to age 70, the higher that survivor benefit will be. So that's just crucially important. And then the second thing I just want to emphasize is this idea of longevity planning, that people will probably live longer than they think they will. Mm -hmm. And it's just good financial planning to plan on a very long life. And everybody is concerned about running out of money. Social security is one of the few lifetime inflation adjusted sources of income there is. And it just makes sense to maximize that to the extent possible. Absolutely. We're 100% we're on board with that. Um, Elaine, where can the listening audience find out a little bit more about you and your work? And, and if they have questions about social security, where, where can they find you? Um, you know, they could email social security at horsesmouth.com. We have a public website, horsesmouth.com, and you could go there and, you know, explore and see what all we have to offer. I am on LinkedIn, Elaine Floyd. 
Um, and so, yeah, that would be. Great. And for the listening audience, the first five people to sort of comment uh, or reach out to us, we'd be happy to send a copy of Elaine's most recent book. So uh, thank you so much, Elaine, for, for joining us today. I know the listening audience really appreciates it. And so do we. Um, and to you, the listening audience, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to click subscribe below to be notified when our next podcast episode comes out. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is intended for general public use. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. The Social Security Administration has not approved, endorsed, or authorized this information. Contact the Social Security Administration for complete details regarding eligibility for benefits. Yvonne Watanabe and Evan Wool are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client, LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206, Evans California Insurance License Number 0H04936, Compliance Approval 2023-160157, expires August 2025.